With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. One, two, two, baby. Two, one, two. Seagulls float between the buildings. Born on the back of the wind. Tower clock strikes. In the cold night air and it sounds a little again. Welcome to the John Lennon Hour with Jude Sutherland Kessler, author of the John Lennon series. Volume 1, Should Have Been There. Volume 2, Shivering Inside. And Volume 3, She Loves You. Purchase your copy of the John Lennon series at johnlennonseries.com. Welcome, Beatles fans. This is the John Lennon Hour. Tower clock strikes in the cold night air And it's onward to Liddy Pool for me Home to Liddy again, dear boy Hello everyone and thank you for joining me on yet another Thursday night on the 9. You know, glancing at my trusty desk calendar, you know what I see? Mother's Day is about 15 days away. 15 days! Can you believe it? Spring has sprung. It's almost summer. It's going to be here before you know it. And if you've already been thinking about mom or if you haven't started, I have two great gift suggestions for you tonight. RecipeRecordsCookbooks.com is giving you an offer that is too good to pass up. There are three fantastic groovy cookbooks that combine food, rock and roll, and music history, and music trivia, and even song lists that mom can play as she whips up one of these fun dishes. There are three books, Recipe Records, that's the original great book, Recipe Records 60s edition with all the dishes that you grew up with as a kid and a teenager, and Recipe Records, a tribute to the Beatles, and each one is only $10, you heard me right, $10 for the next two weeks leading up to Mother's Day. Order them while they're bubbling hot at RecipeRecordsCookbooks.com. And over at the John Lennon series, my favorite website, both should have been there, John's life story from 1940 to December of 1961, and She Loves You, John's saga, and of course the Beatles saga from March of 1963 to March of 64. All are on sale at reduced prices, and you will get, if you order in the next 15 days, it's just up to Mother's Day, you will get a free Doors of Liverpool art poster that beautifully depicts the front doors of all of the Beatles' homes, plus the Cavern Club, the Grapes, the Blue Angel, and so, so many more Liverpool places. Now, you're going to get that poster free whether you order either book and I'll be glad to sign the book for you and write a special note to your mom or your sis or you or whatever. So go to johnlennonseries.com and get yourself a copy tonight or to recipe records 
cookbooks.com for those three great books that we talked about. If you buy everything, all three cookbooks should have been there and she loves you, you're going to spend $80, get five books and the free poster. Man, that's a good deal. Now, sit back and enjoy because I want to tell you a little bedtime story. Let's go back to the late 1970s. I can hear disco music playing and you know, there was a well-respected rock music critic for the Atlanta Constitution and his accomplished journalist wife, and they were pretty frustrated. You see, they were Beatles fans par excellence, but they couldn't seem to find a Beatles publication of the caliber of, say, Newsweek, something that could keep them adequately informed on Beatles events or tours or happenings, and at the same time offering Beatles music critiques and historical commentary and articles about the Beatles, that just didn't exist. Most of the publications that were released in the 70s were lovingly made. They were homemade, hand-typed journals that were stapled, and they were released whenever the devoted fan put his or her time into releasing it and sending it out. But it wasn't what this Atlanta Constitution journalist and his wife were looking for. Well, with the blessing and the support of our dear friend, Mark Lapidos, at the Fest for Beatles fans, these two energetic and enterprising journalists decided to quit looking for such an award-winning Beatles magazine, and they decided to create one. And at the Atlanta Fest for Beatles fans in 1978, flyers were distributed announcing the birth of Beatle Fan Magazine, a very professional Beatles journal from editor Bill King and his wife, Leslie. And since that time, Beatle Fan has shattered all expectations. It was the first journal to lovingly and professionally cover the death of John Lennon in a 1980 memorial release that actually sold out and then had to be published again. And Beatle Fan was the source the source that broke the story of the Threedles going into the studio to record Free as a Bird, of course, in, tan in anticipation of the anthology. I mean, that was a big story, a big, big story. Beatle fan has absolutely flourished over the last few years. It, it even came to the attention of ABC, who called Bill, asking him to be their resident Beatles expert and to Bill's meeting with Derek Taylor, who supplied one of my very favorite quotes, and I'm going to let Bill tell you about that. So daily, Beatle fan goes from strength to strength. Why? Because it hires only the best writers. Dr. Kid O'Toole, who is writing Michael Jackson FAQ coming out in the fall, and songs we were singing coming out in August about the Beatles and their music. Bruce Beiser, who's written eight, nine, ten, many, many books about the Beatles. The Beatles Fnpedia, as we call him, on Beatles records and recording and Beatles music. And Al Sussman, author of Changing Times 101, Days That Changed the World. Al looks at that part of history from the 22nd of November 1963 until March of 1964, those crucial days that changed the world. These are the great writers, and there are many others who make Beatles fan wonderful, but the real backbone and inspiration of the publication, as Kit and Bruce and Al will readily tell you, is Bill King, and we are very honored to have him on the show tonight. Let's bring him on the line. Bill, are you there? 
I'm here. It is so good to have you here again this evening. Welcome to the show. Well, thank you. It's a pleasure to be back. You're so popular that we have people already waiting to talk to you. Okay. They are lined up. We have a caller who's been waiting for a few minutes. So before we bring him on, though, quickly uh, tell us what Derek Taylor said when he called you. Did did ABC connect you with Derek, or they told him that he was going to be talking to you? Give us that little vignette. Yeah, so that, that was the third time I had interviewed Derek, and um, it was for the anthology. He was, of course, the uh, one of the official Apple spokesmen and was one of the uh, insiders who was actually interviewed in the anthology, he and Neil Aspinall. Um, and uh, so when when the, uh, the ABC publicist uh, told him that uh, I was on the line, uh, said that uh, you'll, you're speaking with Bill King, and Derek said, well, I doubt there's anything I can tell him about this that he doesn't already know. And oh that was just God. an example of the, the charm. I mean, the, the second time, the first time I interviewed Derek was uh, in Liverpool at a convention, a fan convention, and, and we did a lengthy interview. And then a few years later, when the Sergeant Pepper anniversary was taking place and he had a book out about Sergeant Pepper, we did a phone interview. And as soon as he came on the line, uh, he remembered the interview that we'd done before. He said, you have a beard. I said, that's right. And he said, and, and he said you described me as having graying hair. Well, you'll be interested to know it's still graying. <laughs> Derek was one of my all-time favorites. I um, a young man took my groceries out to the car in the pouring rain the other day, and I said, "How are you?" And he said, "Living the dream, lady, living the dream." And I know he was kidding me, but I was thinking tonight as I was getting ready for this interview, you really are living the dream, aren't you? Well, I've I've had a lot of fun over the years. I've, I've interviewed a lot of people. I've interviewed three Beatles and family members and friends and band members and associates and. And uh, it's yeah, it's it's been fun. It's also been educational, and and I think uh, we've contributed something to you know the the uh, uh, written history of the Beatles. Yeah, you definitely definitely have, and we're going to get into that. But first, let's get our caller. Uh, let's see, if we can bring him on. Hello, you're on the John Lennon Hour. I think this is a voice out of Bill's past. Oh my God, it's the. <laughs> The ghost of Beatles fans past, Al Sussman. Right. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Al, how are you? Good, Jude. How about you? And how, how about you, Bill? I'm I'm doing good. 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 You guys know each other so well, you probably couldn't think of a question to ask Bill. Y'all are best friends. Well, actually, I'm going to put him up against the wall. But uh, the funny thing is, while I was on hold, I was thinking if this was, uh, you know, this is your life. It'd be, uh, you know, uh, <laughs> old, uh, old uh, Aunt, uh, Aunt Flabby or something like that. You know? <laughs> you're, you're, you're dating you and me in that we both know what show you're talking uh, about. Unfortunately, yeah, that's very true. Yeah, most people <laughs> probably have, what, this is your life? What is that? <laughs> well, yeah. fire away, Al. This is my third yeah. grade teacher, Al Sussman. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. I like that. Exactly. <laughs> Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna put you up against the wall because uh, this this is coming kind of kind of from left field. But can you give say a top five of the interviews that you've done for uh, well, either for Beatle fan or 
through your years at the uh, at the Atlanta Journal Constitution. Is there uh, you know a top five kind of Beatles or Beatle oriented top five of interviews? That you've well, if we if we limit it to Beatles oriented, Beatles related, um, yeah. of course the the uh, the three Beatles. Okay. Um, <clears throat> Not really Beatles related, but sort of a fellow traveler, uh, Brian Epstein. I mean, Brian Epstein, Brian Wilson, uh, which was a uh, a surprise in that this was when Brian wasn't doing press and, in fact, was sort of barely back with the band uh, yeah. uh, in the late 70s. And I didn't know. I thought they had just asked me, did I want to do an interview with one of the Beach Boys? And I said, yes. And then when the guy comes on the line, he says, I've got Brian Wilson on the line. And I said, excuse me? And he said, I've got Brian Wilson on the line. And so, I mean, it wasn't the greatest interview, you know, but it was a thrill just because it was Brian Wilson. Yeah, sure. Um, bad days. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, like I said, Derek was, uh, Derek Taylor was a favorite. Uh, Victor Spinetti, I hope we, we can talk about a little bit later, was yeah. a joy to talk with. Um, and uh, Mike McCartney was a lot of fun. Um, you know, a lot of the band members, you know, Joe English, uh, who, who was uh, an interview with Joe, we ran in the very first issue of Beatle Fan. Uh, I had met Joe at one of the Capricorn Records picnics in Macon, Georgia, because uh, Joe lived in Georgia, not far from Macon. Uh, and the next year, I, I, uh, after he had left Paul, after he had left Wings, uh, I did an interview with him. And uh, and then, like, when uh, a few months later, when, when uh, the uh, Wings over the world uh, special finally aired on TV or was fixing to, uh, I got back on the phone with Joe who, you know, told me things about like, you know, re-recording some of the mm. <laughs> vocals, you know, that were out of tune wow. and things like that. And now you can't get what a, That's, that's uh, quite a list. And I mean, when you think, Al, that he's just talking the top five or six, that's, oh, yeah, that's it's a pretty... Just off the top of his head. I know. Yeah, because uh, many more, yeah. Yes. Yeah, Indeed. that's amazing. Well, we are going to let him get to talking about some of those. We're Absolutely. going to talk about Paul and George and Ringo, and uh, and hopefully we'll get to Victor tonight. So, Al, thank you so much for calling in. You're most welcome, and I'll, I'll be listening. Great okay, hearing from you, Al. Very, All see right, you take soon. care, folks. Good night. We've, we've got one more person who wants to say hi to you very quickly. Caller, okay. you're on the line. Well, uh, Bill, the uh, I think the "This Is Your Life" uh, is continuing. It's the uh, your your favorite. It's your favorite internet columnist. Uh, I was going to say it was my fourth grade teacher, kiddo. Too. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Oh my goodness. <laughs> Well, I, I'll tell you, I mean, it's, it's, seriously, you know, Jude, you were, you know, all the stuff you were saying about Beatle Fan earlier, it's really true. You know, I mean, I've, I've written, you know, Bill's been my, my boss for almost uh, 20 years. And, uh, That's right. Yep, yeah, it's hard to believe, and it's just, uh, you know, it's just been a joy to, to write for such a high-quality publication. It's about time I gave you a raise, isn't it? Yeah, it is, actually. <laughs> <laughs> let's, let's, let's double what you're getting now. That's right. Oh, cool. Awesome. <laughs> That's exactly what my dad does. He doubles my salary every time we're together. Yeah, this is great. I'm I'm officially promoted. Awesome. (laughs) Well, 
Well, Jet, did you want to ask him a question or did you just want to say hi? Well, I actually do have a question, and, and it kind of dovetails nicely with, uh, with my colleague, Al. Um, are there any people, you know, excluding uh, John Lennon, are there any Beatles people that you, you know, would still love to interview that you haven't yet? Or, you know, are there people you've just always wanted to talk to and just never got the chance? Um, yeah. Uh, one is Sir George Martin. I've met him, but I've never interviewed him. Uh, I met him backstage at a, I was, I was, uh, this is as part of my rock critic duties. I was traveling with the Atlanta rhythm section and they were doing a New York show. And after the show, George Martin came back to the, uh, uh, backstage to tell him, you know, how much he enjoyed it. And I got to shake hands with him, but I, so I've, we've had interviews with him, but I never have done it. Mm. Um, and I've, I've, uh, I was going to say probably, I think of, uh, pretty much covered all of the all of the other sort of inner circle that are still alive mm. you know uh, i mean i would have loved to have had neil aspinall you know but uh he sure. you know he didn't do interviews yeah. Mm. yeah 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 well that is i mean you have had so many and we're actually going to talk about one right now that i always wanted and came so close and never did have this interview and it's just a you know, it's one of the sad things when there's someone that you really, really, really want to talk to badly and you don't get that chance, but such is life. So we'll we'll get into that in one minute. But, Kit, we're looking forward to songs we were singing supposedly out in August, right? I uh, Fingers crossed, yep. It'll uh, hopefully debuting it at the August Fest. Okay, well, we can't wait, and we will be seeing you very, very soon in Chicago. Sounds good. Send me okay, a copy, Jill. So oh, <laughs> will do. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Okay, thank you. All See you right. soon. Well, Bill, that interview that I never got, the one that I wanted so much with Cynthia Lennon, and we had just started talking about her last time before our time ran out. And, you know, who would think that between the time that you and I said goodbye just a few weeks ago and our hello tonight that we would actually lose then? And it's just still mind-boggling to me. I, I can barely believe it. But you're one of the fortunate people who actually got to spend time with her. Tell us about this very special lady. It was it was actually one of the first interviews that Cynthia did after her return to the public eye from sort of the post-divorce seclusion she went into, and it was uh, late 1981, and she had done in that September, she had done sort of a tentative art show, uh, I think somewhere in the New York area, uh, and so then uh, they were going to bring her artwork, and this was mostly the the sketches she had drawn for her book, A Twist of Lemon. Um, right. And they were going to bring it to the Limelight, which was uh, like the disco in Atlanta. It was a legendary disco for many years. Uh, and they were going to do a, an art exhibition. So through the Limelight people, um, I got to, to do a, an advanced phone interview with Cynthia. And uh, it was, it's funny because she, uh, you know, she, she was technically still Cynthia Lennon Twist uh, at the time. Right. The, the the mayor they they were estranged, but uh, she was professionally going by Cynthia Lennon. And she I remember she laughed with embarrassment when I asked her about that in the phone interview exactly you know what name she was using, and I, I remember she she had a uh, it struck me she had a British accent but devoid of any Liverpudlian uh, drawl or or you know nothing that sort of placed her uh, in Merseyside. Um, right. I guess she'd been away so many years. 
But uh, we, we did a, a rather lengthy interview, which we ran in two parts in Beetlefan, and that can now be found at our, our Something New blog. Um, but uh, And then shortly after our chat, uh, she came to Atlanta for the, the uh, exhibition with Mei Pang uh, along with her. And I, not long after that, I did an interview with Mei Pang, too. But... Um, and we and she she donated a painting she had done to a local children's hospital. Wow. So it was it was uh, she was very easy to talk with and very positive about her life and her experiences. And I I, I kind of got the impression she was she was glad to be out of the eye of the hurricane as George called it, and sort of able to explore you know various creative creative avenues on her own because she told me that you know while she was John's wife. Uh, she basically just concentrated on raising Julian. And she yeah. was, of course, totally devoted to Julian, who re- returned that devotion. But uh, she, uh, I, I asked her, you know, uh, in, in terms of getting back into artwork when she sort of, because she was an, an art major, you know, I mean, that's how John met her at art college. Uh, and I, from what I understand, she was much more accomplished than he was. Um, and she said in, when they were in India, uh, she did a lot of drawings and paintings because she had the peace and quiet and the time to do it. Uh, and she she was very positive about that whole experience. She said it was a marvelous experience and she loved it. And it, it sort of gave her time to breathe. You know, that unfortunately for her was sort of like, you know, the last stage of her marriage when they got back from India was when John hooked up with Yoko. Right. But she she was very positive, and she would she they her relationship with John was off limits. They said that in advance, and I could not ask her, you know, about their relationship. But oh, she, really? you know, would would talk about yeah. I mean, she didn't she didn't want to get into I guess you know because you got to remember you know John was you know, had had died just you know uh, not yeah. quite a year before, and I think right. she didn't really want to be seen as as you know uh, putting him down or dredging yeah. up old hurts and, and, you know, that sort of thing. So they, they said we couldn't talk about that, but she talked about, you know, being a Beatle wife and how, you know, the, the Beatle wives sort of, you know, uh, banded together. And uh, we talked about, you know, uh, various people involved. I mean, we talked about Brian Epstein. And I remember she she said he, she thought he had flair and was creative and, and she loved Brian. She was very positive about him. And, uh, I, I asked her. I was very interested. I mean, it, to me, it was slightly surreal, you know, that that she and May Pang were, you know, close friends. Yeah. Uh, and so I asked her how that came about, and she said that well, when when May was with John during that time, she had brought Julian over to stay with John and May, and then went off to, on holiday to Los Angeles. Uh, and she said that May, you know, treated Julian, you know, just wonderfully and was very kind, and got on well together and the the line that that stuck with me was she said you know when two people love the same person it's hard to describe but it's just that we get on very well together and it's sort of like she and may had john in common and you know and they they stayed you know close friends uh, throughout cynthia's life um and i asked her what was her relationship with yoko and she said i don't have a relationship with yoko it's as simple as that Mm-hmm. So she she was pretty frank, but, uh, yeah. you know, all in all, just a very positive person. I think that was pretty gracious, don't you? I do, too, yeah. Yeah, 
that was a very a lovely way to say it. Yeah, in December of '73, when Cynthia and Julian came over, May and John and Cynthia and Julian all went to Disneyland together. And right, um, right. this is how sweet she is. She called John and said, "What do you want me to bring you from England?" I mean, hmm. that's pretty big. Yeah. That's that's yeah, pretty big person. You know. Yeah, I mean, so she. Cute. You know, I. I I don't think she ever, you know, was out of love with John, you know, long after they were, you know, no longer married. Yeah, I agree. I agree. It's it, it's just very – I talked to her only briefly when she was living on the Isle of Man, and um, I was very lucky to be able to go to Liverpool for the opening of Backbeat, the movie, and she was going to be there. We were going to be at the same party, and I did not think it mm-hmm. would be – right for me to go up and try to do anything at the party other than just say hello but I so wish yeah I really really wish I'd had the opportunity to spend some time with her and I if I if I go to your Beatle fan website you said that you we can find the interview on the something new blog right well yeah the the uh basically the, the address is beetlefan something new altogether dot wordpress dot com but if you just go into Google and you put Beetle Fan and something new, it'll come up. Okay, great. Great. I know a lot of people will want to read that tonight and when they hear this archive show as well. So you've met three of the four Beatles, John sadly being the exception. I mean, that's just amazing. And everybody wants to know, I know they're waiting for, for you to tell us, what was it like meeting Sir Paul McCartney? It was a thrill. Um I have to admit, I I don't think I slept much the night before. Uh, <laughs> we, we had it was it was uh, he good. Uh, give my regards to Broad Street was going to be opening, and yeah. uh, that's what uh, this interview was for. And they showed us the movie the night before at a, a little theater, uh, and then the interview itself was uh, at the Plaza Hotel of all places. Um, wow. And I got there about an hour early. <laughs> And uh, nobody else was there yet. And so they let me into the interview room. It was like a, there were going to be like, I think, five or six of us spending an hour with him. And so there was just a, like a little conference room with a, a round table or an oblong table. And so they let me in, and I looked at the table, and I figured, okay, he's going to sit at the head of the table closest to the door. Yeah. So I placed myself to his immediate left. And I, I guessed right. And so I sat next to him the whole hour. And, oh, my um, God. Yeah. So uh, basically I opened the, the questions. I asked the first question, and which was, I, I, I'm sure most people you know, who are listening to this have seen Broad Street, but the whole film, uh, which Paul wrote, uh, as well as starring in it, is, is a daydream. Um, Paul is stuck in traffic in the back of his limo, And so he has this daydream about, you know, the tapes of his album being stolen. Um, And so I asked him, you know, whether he really daydreams, whether that was, you know, sort of a realistic, you know, scenario. And and we talked, you know, he talked about it. He said, yes, basically. And we talked about that. And then I I got to ask basically every question that was on my carefully constructed list, because like I said, it was only five or six of us and it was an, an entire hour. So it was, and I was snapping pictures too, you know, the whole time. And of course, being right next to him, you know, I got a lot of good pictures. But I, I managed toward the end of the hour, I, I uh, managed to steer the conversation to uh, a mutual childhood interest we had, which was Rupert the Bear, because oh. I'm half, 
British. And my Welsh grandmother, when I was growing up, always sent me the Rupert the Bear annuals, um, these hardback books that they would put out once a year. And Paul, you know, I remembered, you know, the, basically, you know, everybody talks about uh, Paul announcing the breakup of the Beatles on April 10th, 1970, you know, when he issued the self-interview with the McCartney album. Well, actually, he announced the breakup of the Beatles indirectly three days earlier through his brother-in-law, Lee Eastman, uh, I mean, John Eastman, uh, who uh, announced that, you know, Paul was undertaking projects separate from the Beatles, and one of them was, you know, producing a film about Rupert the Bear. And ah. so this was years later, he finally got a short, you know, he never did get the feature done, but he finally got, you know, the short, uh, you know, that opened, it was sort of the, the opening uh, film on the same bill with Get My Regards to Broad Street. So I turned the conversation to Rupert, and I think yeah, I was the only person in the room besides Paul who knew who Rupert the Bear was. And Paul was very enthusiastic about that. And that led us into talking about uh, animation. And he really loves animation, particularly Disney animation. Uh, and uh, I, know, I know years and years before, he and Linda had actually hosted a Disney Christmas special on British television. But uh, he mentioned Lady and the Tramp as a particular favorite of his. And he asked us in the room, did anybody remember what Tramp's nickname for Lady was? And none of us did. And Paul triumphantly gave the answer, Pidge, and, uh, which I looked up later. Uh, so uh, at the end of the interview, uh, I, was, I was surprised that, you know, because generally speaking, when, you know, I did interviews as a, as a uh, newspaper, you know, interviewer, you didn't yeah. ask for an autograph. That was not considered professional. Um, if they offered you one, you know, you could take it, but you didn't ask for, you know, you just didn't, that was a line you didn't cross. But everybody else at the table started putting stuff forward and saying, Paul, will you sign this? So I pulled a photo of him out of the press kit and uh, I got him to sign it. And while he was doing that, I, I told him that I had interviewed Victor Spinetti uh, just a few days earlier. And Victor, of course, was in, you know, three of the, sure. the basically the three, you know, people's, uh, scripted movies, you know, Hard Day's Night Help and Magical Mystery Tour, the latter right. semi-scripted. Um, <laughs> and so I, I told him that Victor was disappointed that Paul had not come up with a role for him in Broad Street. And Paul says, oh, God, I'll never live it down. You know, <laughs> he, he said, he said, uh, he said, actually, he said he's a very particular type of actor. And he said, and we just didn't have a part that suited him. Um, of course, Paul had used him in the uh, music video for London Town. Yeah. Uh, Victor was the actor. Yeah. So, and, and yeah. since then, I've talked to Paul at four or five press conferences in various cities and, and asked questions, uh, you know, but uh, that was the only time I had an actual sit-down interview with him, but it was an hour long, and, and they, don't, that doesn't, they don't come much better than that. They don't, and to have only four or five other reporters in there with you, what an yeah. honor and how smart were you to pick that seat. That is, that's incredible. Well, we are, we're running out of time, so I've got to get on to George. I mean, everybody called George the quiet beetle, and, and he truly wasn't, was he? People forget that, you know, that day that George Martin is reading the Beatles, the riot act about how he expects them to behave at EMI and perform. And then he says, is there anything that you'd like to say to me? It was George who says, yes, I don't like your tie. So George was far from subdued. 
he was yeah, wasn't well, a quiet beetle. Was he? I mean, you know, George George was the the best pal of you know the Monty Python you know members, so that that tells you something right there. But yeah, I, I interviewed George um, in November 1976 uh, in Washington D.C. Dolly Madison Hotel. Uh, Warner Brothers. He had signed with Warner Brothers, and they were going to release 33 and a third. And so they held uh, a, a dinner, and uh, I got invited and. Uh, somehow the managing editor of the paper agreed for me to go up, though he would not okay spending the night. So I had to catch a plane back that same night. Um, so that sort of put me under the gun. And at the at the the reception the reception part before the dinner, George was just standing there and talking with anybody, and and he was he was very uh, very charming, you know, very affable. Like a guy puts a napkin up in front of him, and you know, George is reading. Hi, I'm George Harrison, and when I'm in Bethesda, I listen to so and so radio, you know. And he he was willing to do that kind of stuff. And, and so, so, but where the humor came out was someone asked him, did he see, you know, earlier that year had been the Wings Over America tour, and someone asked him, uh, did you get to see Wings? And he said, no, I didn't. He said, when he was in America, I was in Britain, and vice versa. He said, but I understand uh, he didn't do enough Indian music. He said, that's the problem with Wings. He needs more Indian musicians. And, uh, oh gosh. That was that was sort of a, a classic George line. He was he was very thin because he'd been bedridden with hepatitis earlier that year, oh. and the lines in his face made him look a lot older than thirty three. But he looked healthy, and and though he did have the weakest handshake I think I've ever encountered. But <laughs> at at dinner I placed myself at the table next to him, and I watched him, you know, and and I don't know if I even ate, you know. But as soon as I saw him finish eating, he finished up early. He didn't eat much. I think just his dessert and his soup or something. Um, uh-huh. So I just sort of got my my little cassette recorder and I went over and I kneeled down next to him and I said, George, would you mind if we, you know, if I asked you a few questions? And he said, no, go right ahead. So I spent about 15 minutes talking to George, asking. We mostly talked about Dark Horse Records, and uh, he was very he was very cynical about the music business uh, at that right. point. Uh, but he brightened up when he actually said that he hoped to go on tour the next year with a small band. Unfortunately, that never happened. Um, but uh, and, and we talked a little bit about how Rolling Stone had trashed him so badly during the 1974 tour. Uh, mm. But he was he was very gracious, uh, very warm, you know, very accommodating. And, and so then, you know, uh, they had a program going after that. And I kept watching you know, watching the clock. And I had to leave before it was over uh, to catch my plane. And then, unfortunately, we sat, you know, uh, at the airport for like three hours. Uh, We had a delay. uh. But anyway, finally, you know, in the early hours of the morning, we take off, and they turned out the lights on the plane so people could sleep if they wanted to. And I was leaning back in my seat, and suddenly it hit me because I'd been, you know, so frantic about, you know, hitting all my marks, you know, getting everything done, but I hadn't stopped to sure. sort of take it all in. And it, it hit me. I had talked to a beetle. I'd shaken hands <laughs> with a beetle, you know, and sort of like a shiver went down my spine, you know, and I, and I noticed that in, sitting there in the dark, I was grinning like a fool. So that, that was, that was that, my, my interview with George. 
Oh, that is incredible. That is so beautifully told. And the next time you come on the show, we can get you to come back again. I want to know your background and how you became a journalist because I think your middle name is Smart. Bill Smart King, because you watched him, you went over there with that recorder, and you totally got that interview. I'm so impressed. That's well, I, I'm, I, you know, I, I was uh, part. It was part desperation, I think, and part ingenuity. I love it. And part ingenuity, well, yeah, yeah. Really, really, and truly. Well, Ringo, we're so proud of him. Congratulations, Ringo. What a great week this has been for him. And I was reading today the article that you wrote about Postcards from Paradise. I love what you said. You called it a very pleasant and enjoyable fellow traveler with his two previous efforts, consisting largely of mid-tempo rockers that lyrically offer 12 step-worthy tidbits of Ringo's upbeat philosophy on life. And that's the part I love. 12 step-worthy tidbits of Ringo's upbeat philosophy on life. Tell us about Ringo from your experience, this upbeat philosophy. Well, the funny thing is, when, when I, now I've never had an actual sit-down interview with him. I've done a couple of press conferences with him, and the one was in Atlanta. Came to Atlanta for, he was uh, involved in a restaurant that was opening. Uh, it uh-huh. only lasted not quite a year. It was called the, the London Brasserie. But um, they brought Ringo to town. And we did a press conference, and of course, most of the people there, you know, they knew, you know, the Beatles, and that's it. You know, as far as they knew, Ringo hadn't done anything since 1970. So I got to ask a lot of questions. Um, but they asked, you know, there were they they asked questions that you know generally weren't real, you know, uh, challenging. But um, that was before Ringo had gone through rehab, and. I don't know if you've watched interviews before and after rehab. The, the interviews before rehab, Ringo was a bit of a smart ass, uh, and he rarely gave a straight answer. Uh, now he's, you know, a wonderful interview, and he, he gives very eloquent and heartfelt answers to, to questions, you know, un, unless the interviewer takes him off. But um, I know that he uh, he did note that it was his – it wasn't his first trip to Atlanta. Of course, the Beatles played there. And he had also, he and Harry Nilsson had premiered Son of Dracula, their film that just barely escaped uh, into release in 1974 in Atlanta. But uh, we, I asked him a few questions about, like, at the time he was involved in doing a, a pilot episode for, a, I think it was a Showtime series that never got picked up. Um, but he, he mostly was, was very flippant, you know, when people would ask restaurant questions like, you know, someone asked, uh, will it be open all night? And he said, that's up to the police. You know, yeah. will there be any particular kind of music? You know, and he said, well, I'll be on piano. And then someone said, is Barbara going to be involved? And he said, she's doing the dishes. You know, <laughs> but then he, he did turn serious when I asked him about there had been recent reports that the publishers were approaching him to write his uh, his life story. And he told me he didn't want to do an autobiography because he said they really don't want to know all of it. I only want to know about eight years of my life. And he's used that line a lot since then, including in recent interviews. But I, I believe that's, if not the first time, one of the first times that he ever said it. Um, yeah. But I also, I attended a press conference in New York City in 2003 with my son uh, for the All-Star Band when they were going to perform there. And that's, of course, after rehab and a much different Ringo. You know, uh, very playful and and engaging 
and sort of the the edge, you know, gone from from what we saw, you know, before rehab. Right, right. Different outlook on life. That he has that upbeat philosophy back again. He does, yeah, and and he lives it. I mean, if you you know if you read the the Rolling Stone cover story on him, which is I think they did a terrific job. Um, you know that Ringo lives that life. I mean, he you know he's a veg- he's a vegetarian, and he takes care of himself. And there's a great passage in there where Paul, they're talking to McCartney about Ringo and Paul saying, you know, that he was teasing, they were out to dinner and he was teasing Ringo. He was like, you know, go ahead, Rich, have a whiskey, you know? And he said, Ringo didn't consider it funny and looked at him and said, why? So I look like you. And, uh, and Paul said, I, Paul said, I deserve that. You know? <laughs> wow. People from Liverpool can definitely dish it out. They are the oh, yeah sweetest, kindest people. They will want you to stay in their homes instead of going to a hotel, but man, they can dish it out. <laughs> they can indeed. Well, the one person that I know you really wanted to talk about tonight is, is one of the two people I have ever heard everyone universally say he was a great, great guy, or he was a prince, or he was beloved. One of those people is Bob Wooler, Cavern Club DJ. Everybody loves Bob Wooler, and the other person is Victor Spinetti. I mean, he was obviously a sweetheart of a person. I talked to him for a very short time at the Fest for Beatles fans, but you really had a friendship with him, didn't you? Well, I think everybody who met Victor came away thinking of him as a friend. Um, we, we, I wouldn't really say a friendship, but I, I had a wonderful time interviewing him. And, and we had, I felt a particular kinship for him because he was Welsh and my mother was Welsh. And as it turned out, uh, I found out at the end of our interview, uh, it came out that, that he was actually from the same hometown as my mother. Uh, oh my and that his, his father had been had run an ice cream shop and my grandfather had run a butcher shop. I told him that. And I love the line. He said, all the best people were in shops, oh, you know, and that, that was, that was very, very Victor, but he was, he was a gregarious, friendly guy. He, he jokingly said he was famous by association you know, because he had, he had worked with a lot of famous names from Lawrence Olivier to the Beatles and and that that's what he was known for. Though he was actually a wonderful actor, he did he had a very successful one man show that ran uh, you know that he toured with for years, where he mostly yeah. told stories about the famous folks he'd worked with. And the thing about Victor was his tales weren't gossipy or spiteful. You know they were full of affection, and he absolutely loved the Beatles. And uh, mm-hmm. I remember at one point we talked about how he and John after long after the the movies. He and John worked together on a stage version of John's books. Right. And uh, he said uh, he said that John took him while they were working on it, and he said, you know, in the British press, you know, it was made out that oh, you know, John was you know strung out on heroin, and and you know Victor had to do it all. And he said that was a lie. He said he said John was was very you know uh, clued in and and you know very involved in the project and he said he took me to marrakesh to work on it and the very victor line he said so i suppose on my tombstone it will have to say he was taken to marrakesh by john lennon <laughs> and you know he, he said he's he, i asked him about you know the anecdotes he said well he enjoyed telling him he said it's fun to tell these stories it's folklore you know and and that's that's true it it, it sort of was you know victor uh 
And he was a great mimic. When he would talk about Paul and quote Paul, he would do it in Paul's voice. When he would talk about Laurence Olivier, he would drop into Laurence Olivier's voice. And it was was just a a joyous experience uh, interviewing him. Uh, He is actually the person I was researching today for the fourth book in the John Lennon series. And I spent all day working on Victor and really didn't realize until I came across Bill Harry's account that he's the only person that the Beatles really requested for Hard Day's Night. They had seen Oh, What a War and you know, thought he was fantastic, Very um, had shades of the goons and that, that wry wit that they loved so much, and so they had actually mm-hmm. requested him. So that, you know, he said, they asked for me, and for me that was a great honor and, of course, an icebreaker because I came onto the film feeling like I had been chosen and we were already friends, you know. Yeah, and and he he almost stole it from them. I mean, you know, playing the TV director, uh, he's a very memorable character in that film. Oh, he and is and of course, and it, for help, they made him, you know, the the uh, sort of the secondary villain um, with Leo McKern, who I have also interviewed um, as the main villain. But you know, uh, Victor played the the mad scientist, you know, who you know wanted that ring because if he could have that ring, he could rule the world. You know. I know. Dare I say it? <laughs> right. Exactly. Dare I say it? Rule the world. I love it. Well, there are actually two facets of Beatle fan. You have Beatle fan, the hard copy, and then you have Beatle fan online. So tell us if people want to subscribe to the magazine, how do they go about doing that? Well, they can email us at beetlefanmagazine at gmail.com. And we can provide them with all the details on subscribing and how to get a sample issue. Or they can go to Beetlefan.com and and get the information there. Uh, And and we we publish six times a year the magazine. We also do Beetlefan Extra, which is uh, a a newsletter that comes out between issues. And as like, for instance, we just put one out a few days ago with the coverage of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame induction. Uh, and if you subscribe to that, you, you also get our Beetlefan Bulletin free emails, which whenever there's any kind of news that breaks, we send out an email blast to all of the extra subscribers. So uh, basically, those are our, our – our, and then, of course, the blog is free. You know, The blog, which I mentioned earlier, um, is, is just something we do to sort of put articles that we don't have really – room for in the magazine or to write about things that, you know, we, you know, sort of a behind the story story, you know, that sort of thing. And we have, we have a lot of fun. We've, we've been running a, a series on the blog called play it again, where various writers take a solo Beatle album and sort of take a new look at it years later hmm. and reassess it. Uh, like for instance, uh, Wally Pedrozic recently did sometime in New York city. Oh. Which is not a very beloved album, but Wally uh, uh, gave us some reasons to think uh, it's worth having, or at least worth listening to. That is fantastic. That people will absolutely adore that. I want to talk in just a second about the online because I noticed that you can actually go online and use PayPal and look at the at the issue. But we have a caller waiting, so let's let them say hi, and we'll come back and talk about that again. Caller, welcome to the John Lennon Hour. Hi, Jude. This is John Reader calling. Hey, John. Welcome to the show. So good to hear from you. Have you uh, met Bill King? 
I met him a couple times at Beetlefest when he had a display there where he was selling subscriptions and test copies. So, yes. Oh, well. Very That's good. That's great. Well, we sure appreciate you calling in. Did you have a question for him? I actually have a sort of a thing. I met Ringo when he was signing Ringo Rama in New York City, and we had waited in line for like 17 hours. And oh. We were, and it was like the end of March in 2003, and it got so cold that when his band came out, some of the band members came out and they gave us uh, hot chocolate and coffee or tea. Um, when, I, when I finally got in front of Ringo, he said to me, he shook my hand, he said, how, how, have you been waiting very long? I said, we've been here for 17 hours. And he said to me, I wouldn't wait in line for 17 hours for anybody. And I said, <laughs> and I said to him, being Ringo, I doubt if you'll ever have to. <laughs> and he sort of he put his hand around my shoulder and shook my shoulder and said, you're probably right. <laughs> <laughs> that is great. What a story. That's a good story. It wasn't quite like Bill's experience of positioning himself at just at the right point to talk to Ringo or George, right? Well, yeah, no, I didn't have to stand in line for 17 hours to talk to anybody. <laughs> well, the other thing, the other thing I, I met Paul. He was signing his book, Blackbird's Singing. And I, I, I was working at the hospital at the time. I was an x-ray tech, and I took x-rays in the operating room. But uh, I, and I came right from work to get in line. I got in line somehow without waiting days and days. And I had a, a dog angel pin on my uh, scrub top because my, my, my uh, Sharpe had just passed. So I finally get up in front of Paul, and he tapped me on the shoulder and said, what's that pin for? So I explained to him what happened to my dog. He started telling me about Martha. Oh. In fact, he said, he said at that time, I, I know he was kidding with me, but he said, sh- sh- I said, how is she? So oh, she's 27 now. And I said, it's good to be a b- b- billionaire. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, the reason I got, uh, I also had a ticket for him. I, I, I went to the show, I saw the Beatles in 64 in Atlantic City. And I had my ticket with me, and I assumed he would sign that as well. And he said, I'm not really supposed to, but just slide it over. So I slid it over, and he was married to Heather at the time. And he looked at it, and he called her over, and he said, look at the price on this. It's a wonder we ever became rich. <laughs> the ticket was oh, $4. my goodness. The ticket was oh, $4. my goodness. So you, you've had experiences, too. But did, do you have a question that you wanted to ask Bill, something about Beatle fan or some of the interviews he's done? Well, I've, I've, I've been getting Beatle fan ever since the first issue, and I, I still have every one of them. Oh, my That's goodness. Great. Yeah, um, the, um, I know my mother at the time when I was a kid, when I started getting them, they started throwing them away. But I said, if you do, I, I, I'm going to have to move out. <laughs> well, <laughs> you are their archivist. I'm, I, I'm 61 now, and I still have every one of them. I just got the one the other day with Paul and Ringo on the cover. Oh, Great. How about that, Bill? That's that wonderful. is fantastic. I, I, I love to John, hear that. John is the person that I think most exemplifies Good Day Sunshine. Um, he has – have you had two kidney transplants, John? Yeah, I, I've had 65 surgeries altogether. Yeah, I, I love oh my and, Lord. And yet he is, he's happy every day of his life, the most positive person alive. Well, for a while there, they had so much medication, I thought it was a Woodstock half the time. <laughs> <laughs> well, your your attitude is inspiring, John. Thank you. Well, thank you so much, John, for calling in. We appreciate you, and you keep on keeping on, okay? Oh, for sure. Okay, uh, I'll talk to you soon. Thank okay, you for thanks. calling. Thank you. All right, bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Well, Bill, our time is almost up, but 
we you also have Beetle Fan online, and so if I want to see the current issue, can I just go on and pay for that issue? No, we PayPal? actually don't. No, we don't have the the actual issue online. We we have okay. um, sort of other articles. Uh, you know, we have we have articles from the past, uh, archive articles. We have uh, articles that were done specifically for online. Um, and basically, in order, if you if you subscribe to Beetle Fan Extra, that's another thing you get uh, as part of the subscription. You get it's it's password protected. Those pages are password protected. So uh, if you subscribe, you get access to you know all those archive articles and all those special articles that we we put uh, on the website. And yes, um, we do accept PayPal and uh, payments uh, via PayPal need to to go to. Uh, goodypress at mindspring.com. And if, if you know anyone doesn't you know hasn't written all this down, and like I said, just uh, email us, uh, and and we'll be happy to you know tell you you know all the different things we have and how you can get them. Well, I really, really appreciate what you've done. You dreamed of creating a publication that would rival Newsweek, and you know what? You've done it. So that all of the Beatles fans who enjoy it and appreciate your hard work and your research and your editing and your investigation, thank you from all of us, and thank you for being on the show tonight to share this amazing life that you've lived. Well, it's, it's been a pleasure. Well, you keep on doing what you're doing and keeping us informed and on the cutting edge of what's going on. Looks like Ringo and Paul are going to be touring right on, so we're on the ride with you. Yeah, yeah. Thanks thanks to Ringo and Paul. There's always something to, to write about. It is. Well, we will have to get together again because you have many other interviews to talk about, don't you? I've done a lot of them, yeah. <laughs> And, well, and other, we I've got some other good stories that uh, weren't necessarily to do with interviews, but uh, some sort of fun things that have happened over the years. Well, can we get you to come back? Sure, I'd love to. All right, we will do it, Bill. Thank you so very, very much. And next week on the show, Dave Schwenson, the author of two books, The Beatles in Cleveland and The Beatles at Shea Stadium, will be here to tell us about those amazing events. And Dave, for those of you who know him, he's not only a savvy Beatles author, but he's a professional comedian. And any time that you're around Dave, you just smile from ear to ear. He lifts your spirits, and you're going to love listening to him and those of you who've been asking me about the song that we play at the top of the show home to liddy that song was written and performed and sung by my husband Rand kessler and he's created a video of liverpool all the beautiful places and spaces of liverpool that is on youtube it's called home to liddy and you'll get to hear the entire song and take a tour of the city that the boys love so check it out Home to Liddy on YouTube. Until next week, Bill and I say all the best to you and yours. ta and shine on. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? 
No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.